0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series about Noah. Uh, we're kicking off a new series today about a guy named Noah. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about that. And, uh, you know, Noah might be someone you're very familiar with or not at all. And the reason is that uh, he's not, there's not a lot about him in Scripture. He, he gets just a little little piece. But what he did was very, very famous, but also very, very controversial, talking about the flood. He's the guy that built the boat we we call the ark. And, uh, you know, as you start talking about the flood, some of us immediately will have some objections or some concerns. And and I know what it feels like to be there. I I spent a lot of my life there. Uh, When I was in school, I was a straight-A student. That means I was a nerd, and I liked for people to think I was smart. See, this service likes me. First service laughed at that moment, just so you know. And uh, so I wanted my teachers to think that, that I was a smart person, and, and uh, the truth is I, I loved God, I knew who God was, so I couldn't deny God, but as my science teachers or history teachers wanted to pick on the idea of believing in the flood or believing there was a guy named Jonah swallowed by a fish, I mean, that, those are tough, aren't they? And, and so I would just be quiet. I wouldn't really speak there. So I know some of you are thinking, how can we learn from Noah if it's such a foolish story and and it didn't even happen? So I want to share with you before we get into the series, uh, two thoughts that that God shared with me. One comes right out of the Bible. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you get over to the gospels and Jesus is talking, uh, did you realize Jesus knew the flood happened? He referred to it as a fact in history. So that's a big problem for us, right? I mean, it might be a crazy story and hard to believe, but if our Savior said it actually happened, and after all, since he's eternal, what he's telling you is he watched it, right? So if he's saying, hey, I was there, I watched it happen, it's a real thing, and quotes it as fact, well, if he's lying, then we can't go to heaven, Because it requires a perfect person, a perfect savior to die on the cross. So the first thing we have to deal with is Jesus believed it. And then the second one is, out of all the stories in the Bible, the flood's actually not that hard to believe. Lots of water, dude with a boat. Way easier to believe than teenage girl, God gets her pregnant (laughs) with God. And then God's going to be born and die but he won't stay dead. I mean, seriously. I mean, so I'll just let you deal with that as we jump in and we start to look at the idea of Noah. Here's here's where we're gonna, to launch from. Noah is a real dude. Noah existed. He happened. Noah did a very crazy thing. He built a big boat in a place nowhere near water at a time that there wasn't rain, right? Okay, this is Noah. And then in the midst of Noah doing a crazy thing, God did what seems like an impossible thing. And uh, I'm just going to leave that there for us to all think about individually. Either way about it, we can learn a lot from this guy. I know there's a small part of Scripture about him, but there are several key things that he did that will help us with our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, turned with me to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we're going to pick up this story. And uh, we're going to jump in in just verse 5 and 7, because I want us to understand what's going on in history at this point. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Who wants this said of you? None of us, right? I want to make sure we understand kind of where we are and what's going on. We are about 16 or 1700 years beyond Adam. And so we've only moved three chapters. If you were here for the series we just finished, we spent a lot of time talking about what went wrong in the garden, the garden of of, uh, Eden, about to say of Eve, and I knew it wasn't right, the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve there. And and so we talked a lot about that in the last six weeks. We've moved forward about 16 or 1700 years, although it's only three chapters, probably a page and a half in your Bible. And, And so we've reached the point where mankind has populated the earth. I mean, we're pushing two millennia here, if you think about that, man. Mankind has has grown over the earth, and with mankind, sin has grown over the earth. And with every generation, it's only gotten more and more evil. And it's so bad that it says that God is sorry that he's made them. Now, some of your Bibles may actually use other words, like God regretted. Now, this could cause a problem here. If the flood's not a problem, maybe this is a problem, because we're supposed to have a perfect God. I mean, he doesn't make mistakes, right? Right? And yet he's looking at what he made, and and he's either regretting it or he's sorry. And and so this can be confusing. Let me see if we can get rid of some of the confusion here. Regardless of what words you have in your English Bible, the original meaning is simply that God's heart was grieved. And I want you to think about that. All that means is that God had an intent for his creation, his prized creation, you and me, humanity. And he looks down upon the earth and goes, ah, this is not what i had in mind and so it doesn't mean that he's made a mistake it means that his heart is broken for the condition of the the greatest creation he ever had in mind mankind the only thing that he made in his image but the story is going to turn better here in the very next verse it says but noah so that's everything else let's get some good news here but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord let's try this again who wants this set of them Come on, this is a little bit better, right? I am sorry I made you. I will wipe you out. Nobody, but found favor in the eyes of the Yeah, We all want that one. Truth is, we all want favor from God. We all want everything to be like we're God's favorite kid kind of thing, you know? We want the winning lottery numbers, right? I mean, that's why you eat Chinese once a week, so you can, you know, read the back of a little fortune cookie paper, and I've eaten with some of you, I know. You pull it out, you look at it, and you discreetly put it in your pocket. I know what you're, you're going to take those numbers, and you're going to buy a lottery ticket. It's okay. We, we want promotion. We, we want people to look at us and go, how do you keep getting promoted? I've been here 10 years. You've been here two years, and you're, you're three positions higher than me. Why is everything going so well for you? We want to just go, favor of God, man. It's all over my life. I mean, that's what we want to feel. We want healthy bodies. We never want to be sick. We want never-ending blessing. I've got a lady in the church I lovingly debate with as to which one of us more deserves to win the HGTV dream home. She says it's her. I remind her I'm the pastor, so it's me. God loves the pastor more, right? No, that's not true. But anyway, apparently neither of us, neither of us has won this thing. We keep entering it. It doesn't work. So. But we want to be special. In God's eyes, and if we're special in God's eyes, we'll be special in man's eyes. We want what others don't have. We want God to treat us better. We want God for, to do for us what He's not doing for everybody else. I mean, I'm not calling us selfish. We just want to feel like God looks down from heaven and angels start singing, Kent. I mean, there you go. You know, it's just like, there you go. That's what we want. We've been through seasons. I hope you've been through a season in your life where you kind of feel that's there. Truth is, you're probably not always going to feel it. Because, well, seasons change and life is hard. And sometimes God wants us to learn more about faith than favor. And that's a whole nother series of messages. But when I was in college, I really felt like the favor of God was just incredible all over my life. I think it's just my memory of it because it was the time where I was renewing my faith. I was coming to life in my faith with God and so I was always reading the Bible and, and just always taking walks and talking to God. And I felt like God was just kind of always with me. And if I prayed for a parking space, I got it. And my music was advancing way more quickly and better than it should have been. And, you know, it just felt like the favor of God was all over me. And then, you know, that season changes and you get married. Come on, married people, you know what I'm talking about. You just wonder what happened. Like, God, did you just leave us? but God's starting to teach you stuff about your selfishness, and that's all right. That's for a marriage series we'll talk about later. But we all want favor. And if we want this kind of favor, if we want what was said of Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God, then we need to ask the question, why? Why did Noah have this favor? Because I bet if we can figure out why he had that favor, then we can get it into our lives. And the good news is, it tells us. In the very next verse, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, here's what I want to make sure we understand. Righteous usually means right with God. It means sinless. But in this case, it does not mean perfectly sinless, or it would mean that someone lived who didn't need Jesus, didn't need a savior So the implication here is not that Noah never once sinned, but the implication is that the disposition of his heart, that his attitude, that his obedience were turned toward the things of God. And although we understand that he was still a sinner, at the same time, he deserves some props. Because there are not many people, very, very few, as a matter of fact, that the Bible says they are righteous and blameless in their generation. We, we need to say, okay, Noah, I got it. You are a good dude. I could learn something from you here. So although he may not have been perfect, this description is so rare in Scripture that I think we can take a couple of weeks and say, Noah, teach us a thing or two. You guys with me? And then how about this blameless in his generation? Do, do we have any middle school students, high school students here in the room? Yeah. You know, one of the hardest things in the world to do is to exist in in like middle school and high school and to stand for something that it would give anybody any opportunity to pick on, because that's like that's what happens in middle school and high school, right? I mean, I taught middle school for a while, and I personally think middle school should not be taught by teachers. It should be taught by drill sergeants and sheriff's deputies. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's eighth grade, buddy. That's just the way I think it should be. Right there for one year, we're shipping you off. No teachers are coming. You don't need to. Anyway, it's just a, it seems like an evil place. Can I just say that? Come on, middle school people. Anybody with me? And. They will pick on you for anything possible. And so one of the first things we want to do is fit in. And we just want people to like us and and, and whatever. But the way that Noah was blameless in his generation, did you catch that? In his generation, that means for nearly two millennia, man has been populating the earth. God looks down at every single one of them, and he says, I'm going to wipe you out, but for him, because he is blameless in his generation. You know how? Because he was different from his generation. God sees wickedness everywhere else he looks, and on this one, he sees something different. And if Noah can be blameless in his generation, so can we. When you go to school tomorrow, for the last three weeks of the year, you can be blameless in your generation. I can't promise you won't get picked on, but you know what? We're going to see in the series Noah got picked on because he had to do some tough things, and people thought he was silly and foolish. He got picked on but you too can be blameless in your generation. But this would lead us to this question. Why? How could someone be righteous and blameless in a generation that was so wicked that God wants to destroy them? I mean, maybe we miss asking that question. Why was he different? And sometimes we look at somebody else and the favor of God is on them and they're different. And we want to just like Give give some excuse that we we couldn't do that. It, it, it's all them. They got a better college education. You know, Noah went to like Harvard. You know, Noah had this opportunity. Noah had better parents than I had. Noah got to go to Disney when he was eleven. You know, what I mean, whatever our story is, when we look and somebody says, Hey, how about this person? Well, you know, they're just they had a better chance than I did. And there's nothing in this story that gives us the the idea that Noah had better parents. Matter of fact, his parents aren't mentioned. And if his parents were so special as to create this one most favored person, I'm betting they would have got a mention. So I don't think we can just say, well, Noah had a better upbringing than me. Well, Noah had a better this than me, or Noah had a better than that than me. No, actually, the Bible tells us why Noah was different from everybody else in a world where everybody else is so wicked it has stirred the creator of the universe, the God of heaven, to wipe them out. Did I paint that picture well enough, the distance between the two? I mean, God wants to wipe them completely off of the face of the earth, but this one he wants to save. That, that's not that much of a difference, that's that much of a difference. And, and my arms don't go as far as the difference is. Why was he so different? Noah was a righteous man, blameless in, his, blameless in his generation, and here's why. Noah walked with God. He wasn't different because his parents treated him better. He wasn't different because of an Ivy League education. He wasn't different because he was a master shipbuilder. He was different because he, and apparently he alone, and the entire population of the earth chose to walk with with God. Matter of fact, that phrase is so rare in all of history up until Noah, it's only used, this is only the third time, and it is very rarely used moving after Noah through all of Scripture. started with a guy named Adam. The Bible tells us that Adam would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. He would just walk with God just like you and I would now. And, you know, sometimes we, we forget the fact that there might've been a before and after kind of thing there. Like, think about this. So Noah gets to walk with God. Adam walks with God. And you know, sometimes just because Adam was the first, we never stop and ask the question. I have weird thoughts. So this is a weird question. You guys ready for this? Why was it Adam and not Bob? Follow this. God created every single one of us unique, right? And so it wasn't like, you know, here's just a blob. Oh, I guess we'll just, you know, he'll be at him, you know, whatever. No. I mean, God created every one of us with a unique purpose and a unique, uh, can you just imagine God saying, I'm going to literally create billions of them. I am the most creative being in the universe. They have no idea. Look at the Caribbean, look at the waterfalls, look at the sky, look at the earth, look at every one of them, how they are so unique. And the First one. I've got billions of ideas up here, but the first one. Do you know how special it must have been to be Adam? That out of all the ideas, and God said, I don't mean to demean you, I know your parents told you you were special, but you didn't get to be first. <laughs> out of all of the ideas, Adam got to be the one who started the human race. That's pretty special. Noah, out of everybody, he walked with God and he got to save the human race. There's another guy named Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God, he just walked with God so much, one day he walked off with God. The Bible says he didn't even die. He just took a walk with God, and then poof, he's gone. I mean, here's what I hope you're getting out of this. When people walk with God, God does radically awesome things with them. You start the human race. You save the human race. You just poof your way to heaven, and then there's the rest of us. I wanna walk with God, anybody with me? I mean, when you walk with God, God seems to do some amazing things. So our obvious point for today is this question. What does it mean for you and me to walk with God in our generation? What does it mean if we were to walk with God in our generation? And before I go any further, I'm gonna say this one thing because at least somebody in here needs to hear this and maybe nothing else that I say. But there is more to walking with God than believing in him. It's more to walking with God than believing in him. And I know there's somebody here who's like, yeah, well, I believe he exists. I'm good. No, no, you're not. Knowing that he's out there somewhere and that's good enough for you is not good enough for him. That is not his intent for his creation, that you would just believe he's there and be content with that. No, walking with God is so much more than believing in Him. And so as I was preparing the message, and I thought, okay, so how, when, when I get to this point, how do I make this practical? What, what's a takeaway that I can put in your hands and you can go away and do something with? And started thinking a lot more, what does it mean to walk with, walk with, walk with? And the, the first thing that came to my mind was something that I do a good bit of, at least I used to, and, and that's premarital counseling. Because what's happening is there are two people who are coming together saying, I want to walk together the rest of my life with this other person. And, and when they do, they have expectations of each other. And I just love to try to scare them out of it. <laughs> Come on, married people, y'all know. Like, somebody should try to talk you out of this thing. So if you go through with it, you've got nobody else to blame, right? So I'll look at the guy and say, you do realize there's like three and a half billion other girls. And you chose this one. And he'll say, oh yes. <laughs> so I turned to the girl, tried to talk some sense into her. You do realize there's like three and a half billion guys. And you chose this one. And she's like, oh yes. And good. You guys remember that about three months into the marriage when you're back in my office. All right, here's the point. He expects things of her. She expects things of him. And as we start doing premarital, we find out how many of their expectations are dramatically off from reality. You know, he expects her to do this and that and that way and to make chocolate chip cookies just like his mother. Come on, ladies. Who's, how long into the marriage before you hear, that's not the way my mama did it? Because <laughs> that's an expectation. And she expects that he's as handy as her father and he can fix her car like her father. He can barely start his own car. What are you talking about? And we have all these expectations. Well, if we're going to talk about walking with God, I don't think there's a better way to address it than, I think there are expectations. I think God has expectations. If we're walking with God, God has expectations. And if we're walking with God, can we expect something from him? Do you think we can put expectations on him? Everybody's looked at me all day like, is that heresy? It's not heresy. Yeah, we can expect something from him. So let's start with what he would expect from us. I think God would expect that we talk to him about everything. I mean, if you just drop by for an appointment one day and you say, let's just take a walk in the parking lot and we spend an hour walking in circles and you don't talk, I'm going to think you're weird. <laughs> I mean, we can expect to talk about the big stuff, the small stuff, any stuff, every stuff. Let's just talk. He's going to expect us to talk to him. But you know what I've discovered in in my time as a pastor is that we've all got some degree of dysfunction in some of our relationships. And we take that dysfunction into our relationship with God. So depending on where you are, what I've discovered in a lot of marriages is that they will have fights. They may have extended fights. They may go through seasons. And some people, unfortunately, are in a marriage where they're just living in that fight. And what that means is, is you don't trust each other enough to talk about little things because, well, you don't really care about the little things. Hey, honey, let me tell you about my day. I don't care about your day. I'm, I'm so mad at you from what you said yesterday. Who cares about your day? You know, and, and you get into that situation where you don't talk about the little stuff like, hey, I had a dream last night. I don't care about your dream. Shut up. You know, I mean, come on, don't look at me like that. You've had those moments, but you still have to talk about the big stuff. Hey, I need to tell you, you know, I had an accident on the way home. You know, hey, by the way, we got an offer on the house. Should we take it? Oh, hey, we're pregnant. I mean, you still got to talk about the big stuff even when you're mad at each other and you're not in a good fellowship. You're not in a good situation. And and then there's some people who do just the opposite. And for my time as a youth pastor, I noticed this more, Now, no offense teenagers, but when we were all teenagers, we did the same thing, and that is that we think we know better than our parents. I mean, so we'll talk to our parents about the stuff that doesn't matter, but the stuff that does matter, well, I've got that under control. So, you know, if, if our parents want to know about the movie we just saw, we'll tell them all about it, and if they want to know about, you know, the cafeteria, we'll tell them all about it. If they want to know how school was, we'll tell them about that. But when they say, hey, let's talk about where you plan on going to college and what you're going to do with your life, we're like, oh, no, Mom, I got that handled. After all, they tend to be a little more realistic than we are sometimes. So just go home and tell your parents you'd like to be a rock star and you're moving to Los Angeles and see the kind of feedback you get, right? And so we know that if we tell them our greatest dreams, they're going to say, but let's go for a more solid career. So we don't talk about the big stuff. We only talk about the little stuff. I don't know which one it is in your relationship with God, but some of us, we only come to God when when we've got a big thing. God, I need a job. I've lost my job. How am I going to feed my family? Oh, great, thank you. You gave me a job. I'll see you in two months when I have another problem. We only bring him the big stuff. We don't wake up every day and say, Hey, God, how are you doing, man? Good morning. I'm just feeling a little weird. I don't even remember why. Can we just... What happened yesterday? Why am I a little off? Don't oh, yeah, so-and-so said that. We don't do those conversations. We just come to him when the doctor says, I've got no answer. Hey, God, once again, big thing. I need you, buddy. Then there are those of us who are just the opposite. Well, I remember the last time I needed a big thing, and you didn't answer that prayer. So I'll tell you what, I'll take care of the big stuff myself. Oh, well, that's a pretty cloud you made over there. That's, that's kind of nice. Hey, hey, thanks for the rain, by the way. And we take the little stuff. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. If you do the big or you do the small, maybe you do neither. But do you consider God a part of everything that's going on in your life? Do you? Because I believe he would like us to talk with him. I think the second thing God would expect is that we know him. I mean, he's our God. He's our heavenly father. He would expect us to know him. And here's the thing about knowing is it's a process that's always growing. There's no way that you can know God to the fullest extent possible on the day you meet him as you should and hopefully will a year or a decade later. It's just like marriage. I mean, you can ask all the questions you want before you get married. And after 10 years of marriage, you're still going to know them better. It's because there's an experiential side of getting to know someone, that the the longer you know them and the experiences you have with them, the things you've prayed for and had to wait on, and all of that comes together to help you know this person. And in this case, God, we know him experientially. And that grows over time. But there's another way that we can know God, and it's factually. There are things that are true about God, and we can know those because he's told us. Matter of fact, you can get to know God at this pace as fast as you can read. Because what God did when he created mankind, he said, now I need to reveal myself to mankind. And we see that he began to talk with people and walk with people like Adam and Enoch and Noah and many others and Moses and and these guys. And then they began to write down their stories with God so that we would have an understanding of who God is. This is God's revelation to us. He even specifically spoke to people and said, here's what I want you to write so that people will know for the generations in the future. This is God's revelation of who he is. We can know him, which means it would seem like if God would expect us to know him and he's revealed himself, that that this would be a regular and consistent part of our walk with God. Does that make sense? Now, This isn't one of those sermons where the pastor goes, you should raise your Bible. You ought to raise your Bible. No. This is if you say, man, I want God to look down upon the entire earth and find favor with this one. And we see the reason is because this one, Noah's case, walked with God. We said, okay, God, I want to walk with you. What does that mean? So, so that couple right there just got engaged. Everybody say, hey, Andrew Page, congratulations. There you go. Yep. So I want you to imagine. Did y'all know I've been doing this all day? Oh, well, anyway, here you go. So I want you to imagine that Page writes Andrew a letter. And on the outside of the envelope, she says, this is what I would like for our honeymoon." And so she gives it to him and Andrew gets the envelope and goes, oh, what she wants for our honeymoon. How would that go? This isn't, Andrew, you should read this. This is, Andrew, don't you walk with her? Don't you love her? Don't you want her to enjoy the honeymoon? Then go see what she says. This isn't a you ought to, a, you shoulda, you gotta. This is a, well, we walk with and Why would we not want to know who we're walking with? Which, of course, leads to the third thing I think God would expect, and that is that we do what he says. Come on, you knew I was going to sneak that in there somewhere, didn't you? I think God would expect we do what he says. The Bible is not only God's revelation of who he is, it's also his revelation of what he wants from us. And and so the more that we interact with it, what we're going to see later in the series, multiple times it is said of Noah that he did everything God said. Well, we want the favor that he has. We want God to do something special through our lives like him. We want to be said that we're walking with him, then what well, we should... says he did everything that God said. That's his reputation in God's eyes. Is it yours? Think about that. God looked at Noah and said, this man does everything I command. Ask yourself, if God looked down and pointed right now in front of everybody, well, there's Laura. What would he say? She does everything I say. She does some of what I say, depends on the mood she's in. What would we do if you pointed at Kent? He does what I say on like Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, sometimes Saturdays. Feels guilty about it, goes to church on Sundays. I mean, come on, y'all know what I'm saying. What is your reputation in God's eyes? You see, when, when we do what he says, it simply means that we trust him and we have faith in, in who he is and, and what he wants for us. I'm a kind of like a nature person that God brought to the city, which is kind of weird. So I don't. One of the saving graces for me is the Clemson Research Education Center. How many of you guys know about this place? It's like nature in the middle of our city, like right down the street, kind of thing. And so I love to go out there and and just walk and take my kids out and help them realize there are things besides you know iPads and Wii's and sidewalks and concrete. And I I, I want them to see that there are actually like things that grow in the world and crawl in the world and slither in the world whatever all those kind of things so I'll take them out we'll go walking down these trails and as we're walking together down these trails I I don't want them to get lost so when I say hey we're going to go to the right and they want to go to the left I expect them to do what I say because I know where this trail goes and they don't know where that trail goes right are y'all following that analogy And I want them to do what I say, because if you've ever been out there, there are signs all around all of the little lakes that say, stay out, don't go swimming, don't even play at the water, because there are alligators here. And for those of you that didn't know this, that's not a fake sign. I've been out there on prayer walks where I've sat on benches long enough to watch the alligators. I've seen them. I've taken pictures of them. They're real. The alligators exist. So when I tell my kids, no, 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 get your hand out of the water. I want them to do it. I say because I want what's best for them. You guys follow that? Yeah. That's why God would expect us to do what he says. He knows where the trail goes. He knows what's best for us. But at the same time, I think we should expect things of God. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, this is what I would expect of God. And if you like this list, then you can adopt it for yourself. And well, if you don't like this list, you can make up your own. But here's my expectation. If God and I are going to walk together for life, the first thing is I want to hear his voice. I would expect to hear God's voice because if I'm talking to him, he should be talking to me. And what I have seen all throughout Scripture, if you've been around Grace Life, you've heard me say it quite a few times, from the beginning of this to the end of this and all throughout the middle of it, you will keep hearing and keep seeing it said, God wants to be with his people and speak to his people. God wants to dwell with his people and speak to his people. It's been his plan from the beginning. It's what he'll do in the end. It's what he's been doing all along. God wants to be with his people and speak to his people. If anyone's ever taught you otherwise, I just want you to know I don't agree with that. The Bible actually tells us that God's spirit dwells within us and that we can hear his voice, a spiritual voice. Second thing that I would expect of God is to experience his power. Our God God is personal. You know what that means? That means he made Joe. He made Joe. I'm thinking, this is what I'm going to make Joe to do. Joe's going to be the creative and he's going to do these things. I mean, he knew what he was doing. And he made Joe different from Lane, and he made Lane different from Paige, and he made every one of them. And and he said, this is who you are, and you're created for a purpose, and you are unique, and I've got a plan for your life. And this incredibly personal God is also the holder of all the power in the universe. Think about that. So when he looks down at Joe, he doesn't say, look, man, I'm making Joe, and I've got a purpose for him, I've got a life for him, but good luck with that. He said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour out my power into you, my creation for the very thing that I want you to accomplish. If we could, could grasp the expectation that the God of the universe who holds all the power, the one who could create our universe by a spoken word wants to see that power played out in your very life. I mean, that's awesome when you think about it because our expectations of God are just way too low sometimes. And if you do have that kind of expectation, then when you are walking with God and you're just coming along the path and you encounter something difficult, you're going to turn to Him. I mean, I just want you to imagine my kids and I, were walking down the trail and, and my, my little girl comes across a snake. Well, the first thing she's going to do is scream because that's what she does. But the second thing she's going to do is, Daddy, do something about it. It's a snake. She's, she's going to say, Daddy, do. Problem. And I'm just going to say, throw the dog at it and run. Our dog's like a little, it's like lunch. I'm just kidding. It's my wife's dog. Don't say I said that. That's what she gets for skipping church today. I'm just kidding. You're walking along through life. And the doctor says, I don't have an answer for this. You're going to say, daddy, do something about this. You're walking along through life and despite your best efforts, or maybe your worst, or maybe you've just lost hope. Your marriage is just, you just don't know what to do anymore. Daddy! Because you are a powerful God. I need you to do something in my life. You see, that is the expectation we have, should have. It amazes me, the lie of the enemy and the place where most Christians live, that they just don't think they should have anything from God. They just got this, I know you're there. See you sometime when I die. I mean, I'm serious. The number of people that I talk to, well, hey, hey, pray about, no. What's God gonna do? Well, nothing if that's what we think. If we expect nothing, we may get nothing. You know what Jesus told his disciples? He said, I want you guys to wait here for something. Wait right here. Don't go just yet. And he, he wasn't saying, I, I want you to wait for more time with me. No, no, no. You've had three years and 40 days with me. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave. You're not waiting on more time with Jesus, the Savior. No, 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 not that. Knowledge, no, no. You're not waiting on more knowledge. Nobody's going to out-teach what I've already taught, buddy, just so you know you've had the best teacher. You're not, nope, don't wait on Knowledge. Don't wait on a game plan because your game plan, you have no clue what's coming. Your game plan will be no good in reality. Don't wait on strategy. Don't wait to learn foreign languages. D- he said, wait for one thing, power. Wait for power to change the world. I believe that's what he still wants for us. We should expect to experience his power. Third thing that I would expect is to grow and change. If I'm going to be with God, I'm going to expect things to be different. You know, the funny thing is we, we do things in life where we actually just go through the motions and, and we don't expect anything. It's so funny. We're just weird people. We go to work and we don't expect much to happen. As long as we get paid at some point, we're good. We, we don't think we're changing the world or doing much. Else. Hey, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was good. What'd you do? Well, I sat at my desk at your desk yeah i just sat at my desk i just did my work what'd you do type some stuff on the computer type some emails i don't think anybody's gonna read them but i typed them type the report by the time i get to work tomorrow my boss asked me to redo it because it won't be any good anymore so i don't know that i did anything i just went to work i just sat at my desk i just typed some stuff on the computer i mean we live like that We have so little expectation that something will happen this moment because we're here. I mean, but then there are other things where we have like an immediate desire for a visible change, like a haircut. I mean, you get an appointment, you go sit in a chair, you're there for an hour, they're messing with your head, moving things around, snipping, whatever. And then an hour later, they hold up a mirror and you're exactly the same, you're going to be mad. What was I doing for the last hour? What were you doing sticking your fingers in my hair? What are you, and you expect me to pay you for this? I'm the same as when I walked into this place. No, I want to be changed if I'm going to spend an hour in this chair, right? right. Funny thing, we don't seem to have the same problem on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Somebody's gonna beat me up in the parking lot. I think. <laughs> so I want to close with a challenge. Question for you is: Can everyone else, or really, how about can anyone else see that you walk with God? If someone else looks at your life. Can they see that you walk with God? And I want you to, I know we're talking about Noah and we've talked about Adam and Enoch. I'm I'm going to throw in one more name today, just just real quickly here. It's a guy named Moses. He he shows up way later in the future. He's going to deliver God's people from Egypt and take them into the promised land. But he went up the mountain to get the 10 commandments and he actually was with God. Now, here's what I want you to get. When he came down from the mountain, his face glowed. When he left being with God, his face glowed. And the Bible tells us that anytime he'd go to be with God, his face would glow. And when he would come back, the people would be scared of him because his face was glowing. And he actually had to get to a point where he got a veil. He probably looked like a full-time beekeeper or something, walking around I and mean, uses the imagine he's got a veil on. And he would take it off to talk to God, and he would put it back on to talk to the people because his face glowed so brightly, people couldn't handle it. I want you to imagine... If people could look at you and say, oh my gosh, you've been with God. Wow, you've been with God. Can you just imagine what God could do just like he did something with Adam and Noah and, and what he does with people who walk with him. If the world could look at you and go, ah, you've been with God. Can anybody see that you walk with God? Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. The favor of God was all over him. Chosen one out of the entire population out of the earth. And the recipe was one ingredient. Noah walked with God. So, will you be known as someone who walks with? close today by talking to those of you that your answer is no and not just that people wouldn't recognize it but that you would say no I don't walk with God I've never made Jesus my king I, I don't really know what any of this means I, I mean yeah I don't walk with God and I want to help you at least give you an opportunity to change that here today to recognize that this God, the creator of the universe, made you with an incredible purpose. And despite your best efforts, you can never be holy enough to connect with him again. Except Jesus. who said, I will die for you. I will pay the penalty of every mistake you ever make so that you can be reconnected to your father who created you. I will make a way for you to walk with God. And all any one of us has to do at any point in time to make an exchange our life and our kingdom with us as king we give that away for one in his kingdom the life he has planned for us with him as king. if you've never done that I want to help you do that right now I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come down front or do anything other than right where you're seated I'm going to help you have a conversation would you all join me and pray say something like this to yourself and to God Lord Jesus I thank you Thank you that you died for me to make a way. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer is that you'll give me a life of great meaning and great purpose as I walk with you in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church slash resources, where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.